Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.
Jai, Om Vishnupad, Paramahang, Sapri Vraj, Acharya, Ashtotarishta Shishimadis Divine Grace. Bhai Charanada Vinda Bhakti Vedanta Swami Maharaj Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Krantaraj Shrimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Samavita Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai. Jai Nithai Gauda Premanande Harihi Bod. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories, all glories, all glories to Shishi Guru Gauranga, Jai Shri Prabhupada, Shri Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Narayanam Namaskritya Narang Chaiva Narottamam Deving Saraswating Vyasang Tatu Jayam Dirayit. Nashta Prayeshva Patreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. Bhagavati Uttama Shloke Bhaktir Pavati Naishtaki. Hare Krishna. Continuing our reading of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Can everybody hear me okay? Good, yes. great. Yes, yes. All right. So we're on Canto 4, Chapter 7, Text 40, 40. Brahmo Vacha Namaste Shrita Sattvaya Termadinam Chisutaye Nirgunaya Chigapkashtang Nahang Veda Pare Picha Brahmo Vacha Namaste Shrita Sattvaya Termadinam Chisutaye Nirgunaya Chigapkashtang Nahang Veda Pare Picha Brahmo Vacha Namaste Shrita Sattvaya Termadinam Chasutaye Nirgunaya Chigatkashtang Naham Veda Pare Picha. Would anybody like to chant? Brahmo Vacha Namaste Shrita Sattvaya Dharmadinam Chasutaye Nirgunaya Cha Jat kashtam naham veda pare picha. Brahma uvacha namaste shita sattvaya dharma dinam chasutaye nirgunaya chayat kashtam naham veda pare picha. Anyone else? Okay. Word for word. Uh, do we do call and response in the word for word? Um, we have been. Sometimes it takes a bit. It goes kind of slow. It takes a bit long, but it's really up to you whether or not you'd like to do that, depending on sure. how you prepared to speak. Yeah, we can do that. Brahma. Brahma. The personified Vedas. The personified Vedas. Vacha. Vacha. Said. Said. Namaha. 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 Respectful obeisances. 
Respectful obeisances. Te. 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 Unto, unto you. Unto you. Unto you. Shrita Sattvaya. Shrita Sattvaya. The shelter of the quality of goodness. The shelter of the quality of goodness. Dharma Adinam. Dharma Adinam. Of all religion, austerity and penance. Of all, of all religion, austerity and penance. Cha. Cha. Ta. And. And. Sutaye. Sutaye. The source. The, the source. Nirgunaya. Nirgunaya. Transcendental to material qualities. Transcendental, Transcendental to material qualities. Cha. 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 And. And. Yet. 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 Of whom? Of the Supreme Lord. Of whom? Of whom? Of the Supreme Lord. Kashtam. Kashtam. The situation. The situation. No. 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 Not. Not. Aham. Aham. I. 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 Veda. Veda. No. 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 Apare. Apare. Others. Others. Abe. Abe. Certainly. 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 Cha. 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 And. 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 Srila Prabhupada's translation and Srila Prabhupada's purport. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. The personified Vedas said, We offer our respectful obeisances unto you, the Lord, the shelter of the quality of goodness, and therefore the source of all religion, austerity, and penance. For you are transcendental to all material qualities, and no one knows you or your actual situation. Srila Prabhupada's purport. In the material world, there is the trinity of the three material qualities. Lord Vishnu has accepted the superintendence of the quality of goodness, which is the source of religion, knowledge, austerity, renunciation, opulence, etc. Because of this, actual peace, prosperity, knowledge, and religion can be attained when the living entities are under the control of the quality of goodness in the material world. As soon as they are subjected to the control of the other two qualities, namely passion and ignorance, their precarious conditional life becomes intolerable. But Lord Vishnu in his original position is always nirguna, which means transcendental to these material qualities. Guna means quality and nir means negation. This does not indicate, however, that he has no qualities. He has transcendental qualities by which he appears and manifests his pastimes. The positive transcendental qualitative manifestation is unknown to the students of the Vedas, as well as to the great stalwart demigods like Brahma and Shiva. Actually, the transcendental qualities are manifested only to the devotees. As confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, simply by discharging devotional service, one can understand the transcendental position of the Supreme Lord. 
those who are in the mode of goodness can partially enter into the transcendental understanding. But it is advised in Bhagavad Gita that one has to surpass this. The Vedic principles are based on the three qualities of the material modes. One has to transcend the three qualities. And then one can be situated in pure and simple spiritual life. Om Ajnana Timirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Unmilitam Yena Tazmai Shri Gurave Namaha Vancha Kalpa Tirupyascha Kripasanthupyevacha Patitanam Pavane Pyo Vaishnavipyo Namo Namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadatara Shri Vasadi Gauda Pakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare uh, for my respectful obeisances unto all the assembled devotees of the Lord and all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord everywhere, we're just like desire trees. You can all fulfill the desires of everyone because you're full of compassion and able to uplift even fallen souls. Hare Krishna. All right, Srimad Bhagavatam Kijai, Srila Prabhupada Kijai. So, with your permission, we will explore this verse. Uh, one thing that stood out to me that has uh, occurred to me in general about these prayers and prayers to Krishna in general across the Shastra is there's um, at least one, probably several other things that tends to be a, a pattern, a theme. One of the things that stands out about this prayer is that the personified Vedas are saying, we don't know you. <laughs> Actually, no one knows you. They said, no one knows you or your actual situation. They're, they're right there with Krishna. And these are literally the personified Vedas. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he clarifies that this means the, the Shastra, which explains how to perform karma properly, how to act in the world properly. And in the 87th chapter of the 10th canto, these same personified Vedas, they're actually persons. Everything in relationship to Krishna is personal. And when you see things not in relationship to Krishna, they appear impersonal. So these, these, these Shastras, these emanations of Shabda Brahma, eternal spiritual sound, are actually entities. They actually offer prayers to wake up the Lord at the beginning of the creation. And they're glorifying him. But the same theme is there, that actually you're beyond our capacity to know. And Brahma says the same thing in the 14th chapter of the 10th canto. After he's bewildered by little Krishna, who is eating butter in his left hand, Brahma thinks that can't be God. He doesn't even understand how to eat properly. Left hand, I mean, this is basic karma. You don't eat with your left hand. So he tries to pull a trick and Krishna tricks him. And it all comes crashing down on Brahma in this incredibly powerful wave of realization. And he says in 10, 14, 29, my Lord, if one is favored by even a slight trace of the mercy of your lotus feet, you can understand the greatness of your personality. But those who speculate to understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead are unable to know you, even though they continue to study the Vedas for many years. The Sanskrit is Atapite Deva Padamujadoya Prashadalesha Anugrihita Evahi. Prashadalesha, if you can get an Alesha, a little trace, he says, just a trace of the, the mercy, the Prashadam from your lotus feet. If someone can get that, they can understand you. 
If they can't, they have no chance. He says also that one may say they understand you. But as far as I'm concerned, speaking for himself as the most intelligent person in the entire mature creation, Brahma says, I don't know you at all. In other words, the idea that somebody could know Krishna is the grossest ignorance, actually. It, it manifests universally in devotees of Krishna that they feel they don't know him. One who's moving closer to Krishna is more and more surprised by him. They're more and more amazed by him. They find him more interesting. They see more. And that conclusion that they reach is that there is more and more that they don't understand. Anantashesha with unlimited mouths for unlimited time with unlimited energy is glorifying Krishna because that's just the most fun you can have performing kirtan. And pers personalities like the four Kumaras are hearing from him and he never repeats himself and he never reaches the end. So I was reflecting because the, the nature of material reality is that it's quite hackneyed. It's quite hackneyed. Um, Prahlad Maharaj famously refers to material reality as punaf punash charbata charbananam, to again and again chew that which has already been chewed. If you can remember being in high school, having one of those, you know, dumb desks that people have used for the last 60 years, and underneath it, some bored student from 34 years ago has stuck a wad of gum. Material life is like trying to pick up that wad of gum from 34 years ago and thinking, yeah, I can do this. I can find some taste in that <laughs> because the essential material experience is the same for everybody. Prabhupada points out, because the Shastra points out, that eating is the same for a pig as it is for a human being. It's just a little bit more polished, hopefully for the human relative to the pig. And the sex is the same. And the family life is the same, actually. Sows love their piglets. And that love is essentially the same quote-unquote love that uh, material mother or father experiences. So essentially not, that, not different. There's differences in terms of the polish level of it or not, how long it lasts and so forth. But the essential material experience is basically the same. They're all within the same category of experience. And the overriding purpose of scripture and the overriding purpose of the devotees Therefore, the overriding purpose of our movement is actually to give people a categorically different experience. We're essentially not interested in giving them experiences within the same category of material reality. That's not our job. That's not what we're asked to do. Um, we use that. There's nothing wrong with, with purifying one's material reality. The purport, Srila Prabhupada points out that the quality of goodness is a source of dharma, religion, knowledge, austerity, renunciation, opulence. And by that, the living entity can actually start to realize Krishna. Otherwise, quote unquote, their precarious conditional life becomes intolerable. Because part of the problem is that if you don't take shelter of the mode of material goodness, you have to take shelter of passion and ignorance, which means you're being beaten. You're actually being beaten and your precarious material life becomes quote unquote, intolerable. And the mode of goodness has an advantage. He points out later that one who is in the mode of goodness can enter partially into the transcendental understanding, but one has to surpass this. So ultimately our purpose is to actually give people a categorically different 
experience. And to that end, we can actually use the mode of goodness too. So we talk about vegetarianism. We talk about um, Varnashram Dharma, which is essentially life in the mode of goodness in the material world. We talk about, you know, being friendly to other living entities. Even Krishna talks about that, being merciful, being compassionate, cultivating nice qualities like gratitude, peacefulness, steadiness. We express sympathy and interest when prospective devotees talk about how, yeah, you know, I really, I really just feel like we're damaging the planet and I just, I'm not okay with that. And I just really want to make the world a more peaceful place and help purify the physical environment we're in. Because we see that's a tendency coming from the mode of goodness. And we fan that spark. But the reason we fan that spark is because we know if they do that, they're going to have a partial understanding of Krishna. And that's all important. And from that, that spark can be fanned until they have a full realization of Krishna, which can take years. That's what sadhana means. In the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that of all the different kinds of practice, to actually personally approach me is the best. And if somebody personally approaches me, I uplift them from the ocean of birth and death. And it doesn't take very long, he says, achirat. Relatively is very quick. This bhakti process is very quick. And he says in his first instruction on the yoga ladder, he says, basically what you should do, just always think of me. Just always have your mind focused on me and engage your intelligence always in me. If you do that, you'll come to me. It's this essential instruction, Bhagavad Gita. Just surrender completely. And if that was the end of the Bhagavad Gita, because it's the conclusion, we would have a beautiful goal and most of us couldn't reach it because we wouldn't know what the next step is to actually thinking about Krishna all the time. Therefore, he says, If you can't, shaknoti, shakna, just like the word shakti, power. If you don't have the shakti, if you don't have the power to do it yet, if you can't think of me all the time, if you're chitta, if you can't be stira, if you don't have the power to be steady and always, literally always think of me, moment to moment. Then do abhyas. Abhyas means practice. It also means repetition. He says the same thing in the eighth chapter. By constantly thinking of me through practice, you can come to, to me, the Supreme Person. And he says in the 12th chapter there, Apyasa, Yogena Tato, Mam Ichaptam Tananjaya. Oh, Tananjaya, if you practice, Mam Ichaptam, you will have the Icha, the desire for me. You'll develop a desire for me. This is what the Shastra is trying to give us. This is what the devotees are trying to give us, is an experience of how Krishna is better than everything else and the beginnings of a desire for that. Because we don't actually get them all in one go. Krishna, he's right there in his holy names. He's non-different from the transcendental sound, Hare Krishna. It's actually a fact. Radha and Govinda are dancing on the tongue of anybody who chants Hare Krishna. Anybody who thinks Hare Krishna, Radha and Govinda are in their mind, dancing. They're fully there. But one may not realize that right away. 
because there are so many obstacles that we have ourselves have cultivated. So the science of bhakti is the science of, first of all, understanding that that's, that's good. Okay. I have, I have this practice. This is very good, but getting the experience that there's something in this, there's something mysteriously attractive about this holy name. And so in the experiential sense, we don't get Krishna all in one go. Most people, the vast majority of people do not break down in a puddle of tears, um, shivering, trembling, experiencing changes of color and remembering Krishna Lila the first time to hear Krishna's name. If that happens, which it can happen, it's to be understood that's very special mercy. And most likely they've, they've practiced bhakti before to a very high degree. So our job is to, when seeing verses like today's verse, realize even the personified Vedas are, are astonished by Krishna. He's a Bhuta. He's actually amazing. He's astonishing. And this is a remedy for the dread disease of been there, done that. The um, recurring ailments that we have in the material world of boredom, ennui, it's a malaise. This word malaise we use in English to mean like general not feeling well. And uh, it's from the French for, for illness. And ennui, also French, it means boredom. Um, in fact, when uh, His Grace Jambavan Prabhu came here a couple of years ago and did a, a deep dive in the first 11 verses of the fourth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, being a Sanskritist, he explored with us this verse, yada yada hi dharma when there is dharma glani, which uh, Prabhupada translates as, um, I think, discrepancy. You can look it up here. There is glani in uh, in dharma in religion. Then I descend. Krishna says, "This is the timing. This is when I descend." So, in the word for word, he calls it uh, discrepancy. In the translation, he calls it decline. We um, did a deep dive in the Sanskrit for all these verses, and one of the alternate meanings for glani is fatigue. Fatigue, just like in chemistry, you have metal fatigue. You know, if you take like a piece of uh, metal, like any kind of long thin metal you bend it enough times you get these little fatigue lines in the metal eventually it'll snap that's called metal fatigue the chemicals are actually worn out and people actually have fatigue around dharma dharma means religion um, it also means nature in today's verse the personified vedas say that you're the shelter of dharma which Prabhupada again translates as religion but people are, are tired of that they're actually tired of hearing about dharma that means that Krishna's alarm clock is going off. Oh, people are tired of Dharma. Therefore, I descend. They're, they're tired of religion. They find it boring. They find it irrelevant. That's their disease. In the verse in Srimad Bhagavatam, um, if I can remember how it goes, it's in, um, you know, I'm just going to look it up. It's in the third canto, chapter three, text 25. And in that chapter, yes, text 21. Tatikshiva Kadrunika, Suhuda Sarvadehinam, Ajatha Shatravashanta, Sadhiva Satapushana. He describes the symptoms of a sadhu. They're tolerant, merciful, etc. Does Lord Kapiladev. Now, in the purport, Srila Prabhupada says this. Hmm. 
the search function. Yes. Someone may ill-treat the devotee because the conditioned souls are not prepared to receive the transcendental knowledge of devotional service. They do not like it. That is their disease. So we consider that statement. Anybody who doesn't like hearing transcendental knowledge is diseased. And Prabhupada calls the sadhu's task a thankless task to help them. Because if someone has a disease, they don't know they have a disease. It's really hard to deal with them. I have a friend who works in a, in a retirement home and he deals with people who are diseased. Their, their minds don't even work properly, many of them. And they're therefore not grateful for the help they receive. It's quite thankless. But um, this dharma glani, this fatigue, this being, feeling of being fed up with religion, I'm done with it. I'm not interested. It's not relevant to me. This is a disease. And it manifests even in the life of practicing devotees as a feeling of boredom. I have to chant Hare Krishna. I have rounds, Prabhu. I have rounds. His Grace Mahatma Prabhu and others who have done workshops on, on Japa point out that there is power in our words. If we talk about how I have to chant, that's different than saying I get to chant or I want to chant or I love to chant, or God forbid, I hate to chant. I have to chant indicates that our essential relationship with the names is a relationship through duty. That's in the mode of goodness. That's in the mode of material goodness to recognize I have the duty to chant Hare Krishna. I have to do it. I have to chant. And maybe that manifests in terms of our vows to our spiritual master. And that's exactly what Prabhupada is talking about. We have a partial understanding of the Supreme Lord. And it makes our life tolerable. If you actually realize that you have a duty to chant Krishna's names, you're going to do that to some extent because you have that duty. And that actually makes life tolerable. Because if you're not chanting Hare Krishna, you don't accept that you have this duty, you're not going to chant Krishna's names. You're not going to have any support whatsoever in overcoming your incredibly polluted mind, your diseased tendency to have no interest around Krishna, to find him boring and uninteresting. And your life becomes, as Prabhupada puts it, simply intolerable. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end at duty. I have to chant becomes I get to chant. I'm grateful. Get to means you're pointing out the opportunity. Bhakti Vinod Thakur, and I believe that Chaitanya Shikshamrita, um, clarifies this relationship between the mode of material goodness and the transcendental mode of goodness. Transcendence. And he says the the avenue, the beginning of transcendence is gratitude. First, you have um, duty, which means you're not doing it just to get something material. You're not chanting Hare Krishna primarily because you want money or sex or food or something like that. And you're not doing it because primarily not because you want to avoid suffering. There's a sense of duty. That's your main concern is your sense of duty. But what transforms that into transcendence is actually gratitude. I have to chant becomes I get to chant. One starts to realize there's something in this. I've never done anything to deserve this. It's, um, I mean, the Shastra is saying all these things. I don't see it necessarily. I don't actually experience Krishna dancing on my tongue, but there's something about this that I'm grateful for. It's, it's got some quality to it that is categorically different. That is the beginning of transcendence. I have to chant, I get to chant. Then I want to chant. The desire awakens. And Krishna says that in the 12th chapter, the verse I quoted, Mam chaptam dananjaya. By, by, by this abhyas, you get itcha, you get desire. Your desire actually increases. 
Just like you can ask somebody if they're hungry and they're like, nah, I'm not hungry. I'm never going to be hungry again. I'm not, I'm over it. I'm over eating. This is this whole eating thing. But then you take him to the Radhakrishna temple on 1400 Cherry Street for Rajbog. And, you know, um, Sanatan Prabhu has cooked some amazing thing and he's offered it to Krishna and Krishna has eaten it and his transcendental saliva is on it. And you look at that and you smell it and you start to actually develop a desire to eat again. This is our disease. We're bored. We're like, uh, I'm not going to eat. I'm not. It's like saying I'm not going to eat. You know, I'm not into that. Would you like some transcendental ecstasy, sir, ma'am? No, thanks. I'm all set. This is a disease. Uh, we don't actually know what that is. We don't know what transcendental ecstasy is. We've forgotten. We have no memory of it. We have no context to put it into a frame of reference. It's just beyond us. So even for devotees who are practicing, we can forget our transcendental experiences. We can let Maya come in. If you leave the door unlocked, she just slips right in. She walks into our, uh, our, our, our treasure house, takes little treasures of our memories of Krishna conscious realization and stuffs her pocket with it and just leaves. And one day we realize, I don't even sit down and remember like why I started chanting Hare Krishna. I'm just doing it. Well, you left the door unlocked and Maya did her job. It's not her fault. So we have the responsibility of not falling victim to that, not falling prey to that. And recognizing the disease, the disease is to think Krishna, yeah, I know Krishna, he's, he's this, he's that, I know him. Just like on book distribution, you talk to some people, yeah, I know Krishna. My grandmother worshiped Krishna, he's all right, he's cool. I met an academic once in Boulder on book distribution. He actually didn't know a lot about Krishna, at least on paper. He started testing me, he said, tell you what, I've studied Krishna for years, buddy. And I see who Hare Krishna is, let me test you. He asked me like 10 questions. Every single one of them I answered because I read Krishna book by Prabhupada. Prabhupada, 10th Canto, they were all there. And he said, okay, I'm impressed. You know something about Krishna. But anyway, I'm all right. I think I, I managed to convince him to take a Bhagavatam, first Canto, and give it to a friend or something. But he had this overriding sense. I know Krishna. Because he studied Krishna. But he never worshipped him. He never got any bhav from his study. Because he was a professor of religion or something. And he never actually did what Krishna said. You know, worship me, think of me be around my devotees, eat the food that you give to me in love. He never did those things. He just heard about it. You know, he had like reams of paper about the jar of honey and he had no idea what it tasted like. No idea what honey was actually like on your tongue. Um, we can do that to some degree. If we think we know what, what sadhana is, if we think we know what bhakti is, if we think we know what life is to some degree, we actually are under the modes of material nature because the, the Vedas are saying, I got no idea. Krishna, I am personally the emanations from your mouth about karma and gyan, and I still don't know who you are. Lord Brahma, he is the first living entity. He has no material parents. His father is actually Krishna. His mother is this lotus flower that comes from Krishna's navel as Garbhadakshari Vishnu. He's unbelievable. He has no gross body. And he's saying in the 10th canto, I got no idea about you, Krishna. You're way beyond anything I've ever had experience with. All the devotees are saying this. So if we think we've been there and done that, we actually should realize, first of all, I got a problem. Maya's worked her, her magic on me. She's run the script and I'm running the script back right out of my mouth. I'm, I'm reading the words off the page. Uh, I have to chant Hare Krishna. I know Krishna, he's this, he's that. This is Maya's script. So first recognize the problem and then recognize the solution. Krishna says, repeat. Engage in this practice. That's what sadhana bhakti is. 
your realization is not complete. You're not thinking of me all the time. Therefore, you're not all the way there yet. You don't want to think of me all the time. That's the, that's the symptom of your disease. So we, we seek out those who have a desire for Krishna. That's the overriding quality that by which we can determine one's advancement. Jiva Goswami says in the Sadarbhas, KK equals KC. This is his mathematical formula. One's tendency to Krishna Kata is directly related to one's Krishna consciousness. If we find somebody who likes talking about Krishna, who is addicted to talking about Krishna, who likes to hear about Krishna, who wants to be around when there's a reading, who actually has taste for that, we should understand where their taste, their taste means their level of Krishna consciousness. And that determines our association, that determines our own sense of our own advancement. These are the signposts that Shastra and the Sadhus are giving us. And <clears throat> throughout the Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, the verses on the nature of bhakti are there to help us introspect and see, how am I doing? Am I actually becoming detached from matter? Because that's a symptom. Bhakti parishana bhava viraktir. These three things happen simultaneously. That one becomes detached from other things that are not supported to bhakti. One realizes Krishna, becomes Krishna conscious, and one actually has attraction for him, feeling for him. Just like the 11th canto says, when you eat, you lose your suffering from being hungry. You lose that burning desire that I'm not, I need food. You lose that suffering. You gain satisfaction and you regain your strength because you were weak before. This is an analogy that, that is given there. So we have to see these things. Am I becoming detached from matter? Or am I becoming more and more attached to matter? Am I increasing in my Krishna consciousness? Or is it staying steady? Do I have to actually address the fact that maybe I'm starting to take Krishna for granted. Maybe I've been taking him for granted for some time in the form of his name, the form of his deity, in the form of his devotees, prashadam, whatever it may be, Shastra. And I'm actually developing feeling for him. Do I ever feel anything for Krishna or is it all on the level of thinking and willing? I'm just choosing to chant Hare Krishna. My fingers are going like this. I'm thinking that I have to do this. I'm engaging actively in, in what reflecting on his, his philosophy and his lila, but I don't actually have any feeling. Um, that would also be a problem. That's also an, an avenue we can work on. So just to summarize, we're hearing from these devotees over and over again in their prayers, how Nevayovanam, how always fresh Krishna is. He's always interesting. He's never boring. He's never stale. He's never dry. They never have to chant Hare Krishna. No one has to chant Hare Krishna. And that realization is meant to awaken in us um, an appreciation for what bhakti actually is. This is ever fresh reality where nothing's ever stale. And by contrast, we can see, am I, am I taking things for granted? Am I en engaging with a, a feeling of dharma glani? Do I have a sense of fatigue around my dharma? Am I sick of chanting Hare Krishna? Am I fed up when I hear Prabhupada talk about how I'm not the body? And do I see that in others? And if so, I should have compassion on myself. I should have compassion on them because this is an illness. This is a disease that's getting in the way of tasting Krishna all the time. And uh, therefore, when we see that, then we, we have the humility to actually 
appreciate. Yeah, I got some work to do. I'm still attached to matter. I got some work to do. Or I'm not emotionally invested in my sadhana. I don't actually, I don't actually have feeling for the deities when I go to see them. It's all like bend over, do this, utter this mantra. I actually don't have feeling. And so we can work on that. Or um, I actually don't see Krishna in my day-to-day -day life. I'm not Krishna conscious. I don't see the rain and think, Rasoham Apsukamteya, I'm a taste of water. I don't think about how the whole ecosystem is going because Krishna has given us a planet to actually work out everything and ultimately come to him. I'm not cognizant. The intellectual capacity to connect everything to Krishna, it's not coming up or it's not spontaneous. I have to work at it. There's some Shastra Chakshu, but I really have to be like trying to see it as Krishna. So these are the avenues we have to look at to see what is my development in Krishna consciousness. And the Shastra is giving us all kinds of examples, Prasanna Vedas, Brahma, Indra, the gopis, Radharani herself. They're all saying, Krishna, I got no idea. I'm amazed by you. I have no idea what to expect next from you. You're completely, you're blowing my mind. You're always different. You're always fresh. I never know what's going to happen next with you. And uh, we want that. We need that. Nobody wants to be in a relationship where everything is, is scripted. No one wants a life where you know what you're going to be doing second by second and what you're going to be feeling second by second, 50 years from now. The devotees who practice sadhana bhakti, they can say what I've been doing at this time. You know, I was in Bhagavatam class at this time, you know, 12 years ago, because I've been going to Bhagavatam class for 15 years. But the feeling of being in that class is always fresh. This is why non-devotees can't understand. Why do you do this thing? You chant Hare Krishna every day. Because they don't know what happens when you surrender to that. It only looks like I'm doing the same thing. It's actually new. It's actually Krishna's working on me. And then later I'm tasting him. And then later I'm actually seeing him. Then the Leela is playing out in my mind. There's this development. It's actually very, very fresh. So those are some thoughts and reflections on this quality of Krishna being unknown. He's actually always fresh. And what that means for us. And how we can um, use that to approach our own practice. First to make our life tolerable by actually being in the mode of goodness. And then actually to taste Krishna. The categorically different experience of tasting Krishna, which we absolutely need. We absolutely need to taste Krishna. That's what the whole thing is about. And we have to give them to others in that way. And now we can take reflections on anything I said. We could talk about any experiences any of you have had, for example, on in, in Krishna consciousness, where you start to actually have um, this paradigm shift. You realize, okay, uh, now I get it. I'm starting to realize like this is actually different than everything else I've had before. Um, it could have been when you tasted prashadam, it could have been and anything. Just reflections, comments, questions. Please go ahead. Uh, I, I have a question. The question Hare is, Hare Krishna Prabhu, my obeisance is, I have a question. My question is on the chat box and I would like to read it. Sure. If you want to read it, my question is on the chat box. So uh, uh, you go ahead and read it. Question number one related to 4740, where I find the translation saying, quote, no one knows you on your actual situation, end quote. And the purport saying, quote, simple spiritual life, end quote. Right. So the, the introduction to my question is as follows. 
for me to ask my question, I need to add Bhagavad Gita as it is, uh, chapter seven, text three, that says, quote, out of many thousands among men, one may endeavor for perfection. And of those who have achieved perfection, hardly one knows me in truth, end quote. So my question is, if to get to know Krishna is as hard and difficult as Krishna establishes with Gita 7.3, why is it that I find Srila Prabhupada saying in his purport that spiritual life is simple? Good question. Well, Prabhupada says that bhakti is simple for the simple. Our essential nature is to be devotees. That's what we actually are. That's our, that's the tattva. That's who we are. But the nature of the conditioned soul is complication. So in many ways, bhakti is the science of receptivity. Just like I started the class by pointing out that we, we know that Krishna is all there in his name. But generally, the experience of being with Krishna in his name uh, is not one of complete realization for most devotees at any given time. That's not because of the name. It's not because of Krishna. It's actually because of us. It's because of the barriers that we have. Um, bhakti is simple for the simple means that to the degree that one doesn't have obstacles to Krishna, to the degree that one is humble, which is the natural situation of the soul. We have no good reason to be proud. We have no good reason to think that we know something because Brahma says he doesn't know anything. The Vedas don't know anything. When faced with Krishna, our basic situation is humility. To the degree that we're humble, to the degree that we're not envious or inimical to Krishna, to that degree, we're actually receptive to him. There's nothing in the way, right? Just like you can have the greatest gift in the world, but if somebody insists that they have everything, they won't receive anything else from you. It doesn't matter what that is. They, they won't take it. If their hands are full, they, they won't take it. Um, Queen Kunti, Kunti Maharani says, you know, you're the property of those who are a kinshina, who consider that they have nothing. If somebody is intoxicated with their birth or their, not austerity, wealth, or their learning or their physical beauty, then they can't call out to you with real need. And she feels bad for that person because Krishna, he's the property of the Akinshana. So what Prabhupada is talking about in this apparent, apparent contradiction is the challenge of becoming simple again. The living entity is simple but we acquire other things. Purusha prakriti stohi bhongte prakriti jan gunan. Bhongte means to, to taste or to enjoy. We taste all kinds of things coming from the modes. Karanam guna sangosya sarasad yoni janmasu. Bhagavad Gita 13.22. That's the karanam. That's the cause of our repeated birth and death. You know, we've stuffed our pockets with all these weird things. We have to live with that. We have the responsibility that comes from whatever we've associated with. And bhakti includes getting disassociated with stuff that doesn't help us. That means becoming simple again. And that's, um, that's a process that doesn't take very long to come to simple, but is actually still rare and, and valuable and, and not 
um, not something we should take for granted. That's the dynamic that Prabhupada and the Bhagavad Gita are pointing out with these two verses seven, three, and also this point of bhakti is pure and simple. That's the difference. That's the, that's the contrast. I hope that helps. Yes, uh, very much Prabhu. Wonderful answer, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Okay, uh, more comments? Hare Krishna. I really like the class, Prabhu. I was, um, you mentioned in the class how it's a, a tendency for us to become attracted to Krishna and to feel emotion for him is if our Krishna consciousness is increasing along with realization and detachment from material objects. So I'm wondering when we're chanting our rounds and stuff like that, what is the fine line between uh, imitating emotions, like imitating like, oh, I want to surrender to Krishna and also like crying to cry. I brought up in a class a while ago that like we want to cry to be able to cry to Krishna or cry out to Krishna. That's helped me in my job a lot. So I'm wondering if, is that an imitation if I'm trying to reach out to Krishna um, and I'm, if I'm not completely pure while I'm reaching out to Krishna? Does that make any sense, Prabhu? It does make sense, yeah. Well, you can't, there's no substitute for sincerity, which is really what you're talking about. Because at any level, really any level, one can have sincerity. One can be sincere about, you know, I can't follow the regs, I can't do anything, but I'm going to go to like a Sunday feast and just eat a little bit because there's something in this. That sincerity is real. And one can be sincere at, at the level of, of Krishna Prema. That is our property. That sincerity is our property. Um, the essential answer to that question is that you should be very introspective and learn for yourself the difference in the feeling when you're coming from different places. And Krishna will help you. Because, um, you know, I can, I can hint at it. For example, if one is trying to, if one is on the artificial level of trying to put on a show or do something they're not qualified to do, then there can be a sense of pride, a sense of showing off for somebody. Even if you're just showing off for yourself, you can be in your own mind showing off. Yeah, look, now I'm feeling this. The feeling that you get around that is qualitatively different than the feeling you get when that's absent and you're calling out to Krishna without or with even with less of a desire to kind of like show off to yourself about how you're calling out to Krishna. Um, Prabhupada gives the example of a child crying for their mother. Like, you know, if you've ever been in pain or had, had a great need, there's a certain quality to, you know, your feeling and the way that you cry out either literally or through your actions. Like there's this expression, a cry for help. That was a cry for help from that person. You know, they, they needed help. There was a cry for help. Krishna knows our sincerity. We can actually also know our sincerity by coming in touch with it. There are times when we are more sincere and it's clear to us. It's crystal clear to us that, wow, that round was like, or that mantra or that, you know, that festival, I really, by some mercy, actually felt my need to, for Krishna. I actually realized to some degree more than usual that I actually have nothing without him, right? Um, Akin Shinagotchana, he's the property of those who, who realize they have nothing. That may not be with us all the time. That may not be with us completely, but it's with us more or less at different times. And we should become sensitive to see within, what does it feel like to be without Krishna? To, to realize that I don't have anything without him. To realize that it's my own fault and no one else's that I have all these distractions in my life, in my mind. To realize that, as Prabhupada said in answering Hari Vilas Prabhu on the definition of humility, 
Prabhupada said humility means to realize that nothing in the world, absolutely nothing and no one, can ever save me except for Krishna. That is a, that's a realization that pure devotee lives in. And it's not just not intolerable, it's, it's ecstasy. It's actually wonderful to realize that because that fuels their bhakti. And if you've ever chanted around where you felt like you needed Krishna more than usual, you can attest that the feeling is palpable. What you get back from Krishna is palpable. Um, that's another thing is that if your bhakti is going in a good direction, you become detached from matter, you're happy, you're happy to see devotees, your anarthanivriti is continuing, you're realizing Krishna more and more, that's a general sign that you're doing things right. And if your guides and, and, and gurus and mentors are saying you're doing right, you're doing well, that's a, that's a good sign too. So those are some ways of looking at it. Am I cultivating the qualities that Shasta says I should have? Am I, am I, are things working according to that plan? Do my gurus and guides have you know, positive feedback to give? And introspection to see, am I actually, uh, am I actually calling out from that place? You can, you can tell to, to a certain extent for yourself. Um, and yeah, there's no, there's no substitute for sincerity. The good news is we don't have to try to be more than we are. It's not necessary to, um, it's not necessary to try to feel more than you can feel right now. If you can't, if you can't feel like great happiness in seeing the deity or on chanting Hare Krishna, you, you can feel that I like to feel great happiness in chanting your name or in seeing the deity. That you should find that, that point where you can take a stand and say, this, this place for sure, I know I'm real. Over there, I may be faking it, but right here in this place where I say, I would like to chant Hare Krishna, like I chanted that one round once, once upon a time. I would like to, to taste that Krishna and I'm accepting it's nobody's fault but my own that I'm not doing it. I'm not blaming you. I'm not blaming my, my mom. I'm not blaming society. It's my own karma. It's not anyone else's fault. I'm, I'm taking that on my head. And I'm saying, Krishna, help me anyway. And that's where I'm taking a stand. And that place is real. You know, there's some other stuff I may be feeling, I maybe not, but if, you, if you're sure that's where your, your battle is, then, then take a stand there and fight there. And that's real. And that's safe. Um, and from that, you'll develop, you know, from that, you'll start to experience other things. Um, I hope that helps. It's a good question. It's a very subtle question. Yeah, I wanted to bring the point up that it says, like, uh, we've even if we don't, like, chant Hare Krishna without... Um, with like the offenses, we still should chant Hare Krishna. So it's kind of like with the surrender thing. If we're not like at the stage of fully surrender, we can be at the stage or desiring Krishna. We could like take it a step back and say like, well, I want to be at that stage of surrendering to Krishna. I, I want to want to be at that stage where I only rely on Krishna. Exactly. And that's really helpful. Thank you, Prabhu. Thank you. A few more minutes. Maybe Mother Nidra would like to say something. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Obeisances. Um, thank you for the class, Guru. So, uh, in the purport, uh, it says towards the end that uh, the positive transcendental qualitative manifestation is unknown to the students of the Vedas, as well as to the great stalwart demigods like Brahma and Shiva. Actually, the transcendental qualities are manifested only to the devotees. So I was just wondering if you could clarify that because, uh, you know, we think of Brahma and Shiva as devotees and we see in different 
pastimes, um, you know, that they do have positive transcendental um, understanding of the Lord, although they do get bewildered too, due to the Lord's mercy to bewilder them in different pastimes. But um, it talks about them in such a way that um, um, it seems like they're uh, kind of on the um, level of the other uh, demigods, not so um, advanced, but more or less, um, you know, not so much in the mode of goodness. So I was just wondering if you would uh, like to say something about that section of the purport. Sure. Yeah, um, this comes up a few times in the way the Prabhupada talks about Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva, for example, even Lakshmi Devi. Um, so in the Bhagavatam, I don't remember the verse, but there is a verse that points out that if one performs their karmic duties perfectly, perfectly means to the letter in terms of karmic rightness for i forget 100 births or something in a row with no mistake they can earn the position of lord brahma so that idea of brahma for example is an idea of position an idea of uh it's an external understanding of brahma brahma is a position as well as the person who's occupying the position just like indra indra he actually has a, that's not his name. Indra means chief. That's his position. It's his post. The name of Indra in our yuga is actually um, Purandara. That's his personal name. But he is Indra. He is the Indra, the, the, the god of heaven, the heavenly, you know, um, chief of the demigods in that sense. And Brahma also, same thing. He's an individual living entity, but his post is Brahma. Now, Shasha is saying you can become the next Brahma by doing your karma properly. And Prabhupada is saying, and the purport is saying, and the verse is saying, that if you are surrendering to karma yoga, you can't know Krishna. You can't know his positive transcendental qualities. Uh, you can get a post. You can become that Brahma. But that person who gets that post doesn't necessarily mean they understand Krishna. That's personal. Whether a given Brahma understands Krishna as he is or not has to do with the personal relationship between those two beings, Krishna and that particular being who is Brahma at that time. Because nobody's Brahma. Nobody's ever Brahma. Everybody's always a devotee of Krishna. Some people realize it and some people don't. And if you realize it, you act in that way and you're a devotee. You take shelter of bhakti. Then you realize Krishna. And if you don't act as a devotee, it doesn't matter if you're Brahma. It doesn't matter what kind of hat you're putting on and playing in your sandbox. You're not going to realize Krishna because he's the property of those who've given up attachment to all these positions. He's a Kinshanagotra. If you're Brahma and you think you're Brahma, and you've never done any service for Krishna, you're never going to see him. If you're Brahma and you think you're Brahma, but you've done service for him before, then he'll remind you, like you reminded our Brahma in the 10th canto. He'll humble you. He'll put you through the works. <laughs> he'll do that for Indra too, because you did service before. Don't forget, you're not the boss here. I'm the boss. Don't forget how wonderful I am. He'll teach you until you come again to that position where you're Brahma or Indra or whatever, but you don't care. You're just a devotee. But the demigods are defined by having this mixed motive. So it's back and forth. It's back and forth. Um, Brahma and Shiva are always devotees. But Brahma particularly shows this tendency to, uh, because he's Jiva Tattva, to forget about Krishna. And Shiva also within Leela can forget. Uh, can you hear me? Uh, we can hear you. Okay. Your video just went off. The battery's low. So I guess when the battery gets low enough, you don't get to see the 
the speaker here. Anyway, Shabda, our whole process is hearing. So as long as you can hear me, I hope that um, was useful, Mother Nidra. Thanks so much, Prabhu. Appreciate that. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Oh, now it went on. Now it's on. Okay. Anything um, else? Prabhu, I really like that that point that you're making, and and you sort of made that point in the beginning of the of your talk about understanding Krishna, and um, and it relates to just understanding and then understanding as far as a personable relationships. That that Brahma is a post, Indra is a post. And that person, it's just like calling someone chief, like, oh, chief, oh, chief, but they actually have a name. And to understand that person as a person in a personable way. So with, with Krishna that, you know, I was thinking that people, we, people like to feel understood and they feel that they can, there's more connection when there's understanding in a relationship, like personal understanding, like I understand this person and I like to be understood in a relationship. So Krishna, just as, as you were saying that when, how to understand Krishna, that Krishna also wants to be understood. And then who, and who of, of all the devotees understands him the most is Srimata Radharani. And that's why she's so dear to him is because he's understood by her. And so that, that was interesting to me that, um, and I really appreciate the points that you made elaborating on that. And um, I just like how Prabhupada ends this purport with pure and simple spiritual life, that it's, it's not complicated. When, when, when the modes get involved, it just gets so complicated. And taking shelter of Krishna becomes difficult because of the modes. But without, without those modes or transcending those qualities, then we can actually have a pure and simple spiritual life. Yeah, thank you. I'll just end on that note because one thing I, I can mention too is that we don't we don't know Krishna. He's always surprising, but we also don't know what we're capable of with bhakti. You know, someone could have told me years ago, you'll follow these principles and chant for two and a half hours a day. And I'd be like, you're you're insane. You're absolutely out of your mind. There's no way. They'd have to they'd have to drug me every day, you know. But we don't know what we're capable of because we're not simple. The conditioned soul makes excuses. Well, I can't do that. I can't surrender that way. But we're made for that, you know, like the bird can say, I can't fly, but the mom knows you definitely can fly. So this is the, the relationship between our doubts and our complications and our excuses and whatever. But actually, our basic position is pretty miraculous. We can do some amazing things when we surrender to Bhakti. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Sri Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Vansha Kapatru Piyashtra Kripasin to Pieva Chapatitana, Anantakoti Vaishnavrinda Ki Jai. Hare Krishna. Hey devotees, come on the screen so the eyes can be engaged in Vaishnav Sangha. Go Pramanandi.